Hello, friend. This is Taylor with an exciting and important announcement before this episode begins. For the past few years, I've gotten lots of requests from men in my courses for an in-person workshop or retreat. And I'm happy to say that this year it's finally happening in the beautiful mountains just outside of Asheville on July 11th through the 14th. And it includes a nine-week online men's group and training that starts three weeks before the retreat to help us integrate the work we're going to be doing together into our regular everyday lives. The program is called Liberate Your Life Force, and it's for any man who wants to feel truly vital and alive and liberated in his life on a daily basis in things like sex, relationships, in your family, in your business, and with your mission and purpose in life. Yes, <laughs> let's take a breath to that. <sighs> mm. I am co-facilitating this program with my good friend Thomas Duchin, and we've created this program based on our years of working with hundreds of men and figuring out some of the most effective and powerful ways to help us break through the most common ways men get blocked in life, with things like sexual shame, emotional closure and numbness, being the lone wolf, being the nice guy, difficulty receiving, and so many more ways that we hold ourselves back. The good news is we can actually work through these things and come out way stronger on the other side, especially when supported by a group of men and in-person processes that challenge you to become your best self. If this is something that sounds good to you, you can go to my website and click the retreat menu option to learn more. And know that enrollment is first come, first serve by application only, and it's limited to just 18 men, so we can have a truly powerful and tight-knit group. It's going to be profound, it's going to be fun, it's going to be challenging, and I'm so excited to share it with you and the group of men who have already signed up. So if you're interested, again, check out my website. And with all that being said, let's get into today's episode. If some men particularly knew that they could be multi-orgasmic, for mm -hmm. example, it would change their complete view on their body, on how they relate to sex, on what they would do sexually, on they would they would realize that the end goal is not about just one and done, that there's this whole spectrum of things that opens up to them all of a sudden. Hello, friend, and welcome to the Sex Upgraded Podcast, a podcast for men all about sex, where we'll combine real, authentic, and down-to-earth conversations about sex, life, and relationships with some pretty wild personal stories and practical how-to episodes as well with guest experts from around the world to help you have the most amazing sex life you can possibly have. My name is Taylor and I'll be your host on this journey and it's my goal with each episode to give you practical, actionable things you can start doing today to improve your sex life and your entire life because a thriving sex life will help you thrive in all areas of your life. So let's begin today's episode by starting with a deep breath in through the nose into the belly together. Exhaling with an audible sigh. And let's get into today's episode. Since you are here listening to this podcast, and if you have ever gotten on the internet, I'm going to guess that you have heard about Tantra and the term Tantra and how it relates to probably sex, possibly how it relates to spiritual growth, spiritual evolution. And it can be a really confusing term because there's a lot of backstory and there's a lot of misinterpretations going on. And I'm really, really excited for today's episode with Hema. Thank you so much for being here. Hema is somebody who's studied both classical Tantra 
and the world of Neo-Tantra and the integration of those two, and who has actually taught workshops on this very thing. Like, what is the difference between these two and how do they cross over? And how can you use both of them for your modern life to have more pleasure, yes, but also a more deeply fulfilling life? And thank you so much, Hema, for being here. I'm really excited to get into this with you. Thank you, Taylor. I'm super excited to be here. Uh, I think you just gave a really good synopsis and summary of what we're going to talk about. So I'm excited to dig into more of the details with you. Awesome. Well, let's let's do it. And before we get into it, I think it's really important to understand the context and the perspective that you're coming from. And so I'd love it if you would share a little bit of your background, how you got into the work and what is the work you're doing right now and how, yeah, how have you studied both of these traditions and yeah, I'll leave it to you. Okay. Thanks. Um, yeah, again, thank you for having me here. So my background is, um, you know, I am born in the lineage. So my parents are actually from India, from the South Asian continent. And, uh, I was brought up with some religious upbringing, but not much, to be honest. Um, you know, funnily enough, given that most of your, uh, listenership is, is male, you know, I'm actually an engineer. So, um, I studied engineering and I worked in tech for like a long time, mm. 36, 36 years, some like big names in the industry. But, you know, there was always this undercurrent of spirituality that was in my life and just in my psyche. And so now what I am is I actually call myself the holistic mystic. So I'm Hema, holistic mm. mystic. And I'm a psychic and an empath and a medium. So it means that I, I channel messages from above. But I'm also a spiritual mentor and a counselor. And one of my key gifts or one of the key things that I do in this world is I help people uh, identify where they're feeling blocked in their life and what that blockage is due to and help them move beyond that so they can live a life full of passion and purpose and abundance. Mm. And so clients come to me to work on a, a variety of different things, including spiritual mentoring and counseling. Nice. Beautiful. So then how does that relate to Tantra? Because I thought Tantra was just having better sex. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, that, that is one of the outcomes of Tantra is you can have better sex for sure. Yeah. And let's face it, sex sells. So people love talking about that aspect of Tantra. Um, you know, for me, my path was, and then I'll get to the yeah. question in a moment. Um, I became a yoga teacher I and mean, I was always interested in spirituality, as I mentioned mm -hmm. before, and I was part of uh, various groups, you know, spiritual groups. And I became a yoga teacher and then Tantra kind of came on my path very serendipitously. And I discovered what I'm going to call Neo-Tantra. And um, which is the tantra that's related to sex and mm -hmm. sexuality, conscious sexuality. And that became the path for me to go more on a what I'm going to call classical tantra mm -hmm. path. So I did a lot of the spiritual study around classical tantra. And so there's two terms that I've just introduced as neo-tantra and classical mm -hmm. tantra. As I mentioned before, neo is... Uh, a newer term that's being used, you know, neo is the word new, and it's the tantra that has kind of been adopted in the West um, that relates to sex and sexuality and intimacy, conscious relating. Mm -hmm. And classical tantra is really the study of classical scripts um, that are all written in Sanskrit and that are based on ancient things that are written thousands and thousands of mm -hmm. years ago. So I'm going to use those two terms interchangeably during the, the podcast. But uh, Neo-Tantra was my path to discovering uh, classical Tantra and the writings and the teachings therein. So the two, the two paths are, are super valuable. And we can talk a little bit about, you know, the, the differences and the similarities between the two. Yeah. 
Got it. Wow. Super interesting. Thanks for that introduction. And so if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying that the tradition you grew up in, you didn't say explicitly it was classical Tantra, but I'm guessing like you grew up in a classically Tantric tradition around you, at least around you. Yeah. So yes. Well, so we didn't call it Tantra and I'll explain why it was more, it's more Hinduism. Um, but there are two different um, kind of sects within within Hinduism. There's what are called Shaivites and then what are called Vaishnavites. And Shaivites are the ones that actually pray to and and believe in uh, Lord Shiva. And Vaishnavites are the ones that pray to and believe in Lord Vishnu. I'm just going to add this little this little commentary that you know all gods lead to the same thing. Uh, Hinduism can be very confusing for people who look in on from the outside. But, you know, at Hindus, what we believe is that there are different manifestations of different aspects of God, but everything leads back to the one. And that's very clear in all of the teachings. So sometimes Westerners look at Hinduism and are like, is this idolatry? Like, and, you know, Hindus are very clear. No, we're not praying to an idol. We're playing, praying to what the idol represents. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we all know that it's the one, you know, spirit, whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it, um, God, you the universe um so you know i was raised in a shaivite tradition and that is what tantric tradition is based on is the teachings of from lord shiva or following uh you know aspects of lord shiva so that was my upbringing and uh, we didn't call it tantra in fact tantra is kind of a a bad word dirty word um right now in, Hmm. in india um because, and, and I'll explain in a moment, because it's kind of a, an off the beaten path way of spirituality that isn't more mainstream. It's becoming more and more mainstream now, particularly in the Western world. But when I grew up, it wasn't, it wasn't really, that's not what it was called. It was just Hinduism. Got it. Got it. Interesting. Okay. So Neo-Tantra is about sex. I'm going to make a gross generalization here. Classical Tantra is about spiritual evolution. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great way to to separate the two. But I'm also going to say that neo tantra is also about spiritual evolution, and classical tantra has a little bit of sex in it. So you know, there's this really neat Venn diagram that I created because um, I'm a mm-hmm. bit of a geek um, on the differences and <laughs> in the intersections between the two. And um, neo tantra does focus on sex and sexuality. You know, people may have heard about things like uh, ejaculatory control and semen retention and and you know breathing and breath work and chakras and and orgas you know endless orgasms and that is all very true actually in neo tantra um and yeah exactly <laughs> big thumbs up um as an aside i want to say for the men who are listening to the podcast men you're able to have multiple orgasms as well and uh just like just like women can so i want to get into that maybe a little mm-hmm. bit um but neo tantra is uh, a path to spiritual uh, enlightenment and liberation it can be mm-hmm. as well um it's just that the focus of neo tantra is mostly on sex like if you go to any neo tantra workshops um they'll all be about oh great sex enhanced intimacy mm-hmm. you know better orgasms um and, you know, the goal actually of classical Tantra is not about sex necessarily. It's about spiritual enlightenment. It's about liberation. Yeah. So Neo-Tantra, although you can have very liberating experiences with that, its primary focus is on better sex. And classical Tantra, its focus is on liberation and enlightenment so yeah. that you don't, you're not attached to any of these things. So that's the key difference. 
Um, but you know, there's many different ways to achieve enlightenment and sex can be one of them. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll get into the, yeah, I want to get into the topic of enlightenment later on in this episode. Like, what is that? Is it possible, et cetera? What does it look like? And also sure. you mentioned the non-ejaculatory sex and multiple orgasms. Where is that? Or is that even a part of classical Tantra? Is that something like, oh, that we have developed? Yeah. So, okay, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not. Yeah, it's not at all. I mean, it's something that, uh, so I think I need to do a little bit of history of Tantra to explain why things have evolved that way. And, yeah, and some parts, even for me, are, are still not super clear. Yeah. So classical Tantra doesn't have a lot about sex and sexuality, but Tantra as a whole mm -hmm. is a very complex um, lineage, a very complex set. And so Tantra is really a set of spiritual practices and disciplines that are meant to show you the path to enlightenment. And so Tantra originally originated in the southern uh, part of India, again, where my family is from. And then it migrated north up into Kashmir, um, up into the northern area, because there was this like hotbed of scholars and funding, I'm guessing, for people doing this kind of study. And I mean, Kashmir is beautiful. It's transcendent. And then it kind of went to China and Tibet. So there's many different kinds of Tantra. You'll hear mm -hmm. about Taoist Tantra, Buddhist Tantra, Tibetan mm -hmm. Tantra. Um, you'll hear about classical Kashmiri Shaivism, which is what I follow. Um, then you hear about Neo-Tantra. So there's all these different branches. It becomes confusing. And so the sexuality piece of it, although is not in the Kashmiri Shaivism text, it is mentioned in some of the Taoist tantric texts and the Buddhist texts. So there are some teachers in Thailand, um, some very famous ones, who teach about ejaculatory control. It's part of the Taoist system. It's part of the Taoist energy um, system of the body. And so they teach that. And, and so what happens is that Neo-Tantra takes a little bit of this and a little bit of that, a little bit of conscious relating, a little bit of authentic relating, a little bit of, you know, this is the Buddhist Taoist Tantra and sort of mushes it all into something called Tantra or, or Neo-Tantra. Mm -hmm. And really the term we should use is conscious sexuality for it, but it's kind of a mishmash of a bunch of things. Yeah. Um, and like I said before, sex is fun. Sex sells. So people really kind of get interested totally. in that. Yeah. Which brings me to a question and I'm curious to hear your personal opinion on this. Like we in the Western world, we'd like to pick different pieces and things from different, you know, traditions or, or patterns or whatever, like serves us, right. And helps life be better for us. And in this particular context, well, in some contexts, it can be problematic. I'm curious if you think like in this context, that sort of cherry picking is is necessarily like harmful or problematic, or like is it ultimately, do you think, a healthy, useful thing to do in this context? Yeah, and that's, a think, big, that's a big question, I, I know. <laughs> this is a very covered... It's a big question, so I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna address it in piecemeal and uh, remind me if I don't address the entire part of the question. So there there's some complexities here, right? The, yeah. the Western world has taken pieces that are very convenient to it around yoga, around tantra, around uh, meditation, and and kind of adopted it to what feels good in the Western world. So you know, does the end justify the means? Sometimes, because people are having, you know, awakening experiences and transcendent experiences. But mm -hmm. I'm going to say that a lot of the pieces of Tantra and yoga today have been appropriated. So appropriated means taking something from a marginalized culture, adopting it as your own. Typically, yeah. there's a power differential there. So I'm talking about colonialism. You know, colonialists took a lot of stuff from India 
took it back to their own country, adopted it as theirs, and have either profited from it or it's become part of their culture. Um, so, you know, that that's a very complex topic, right? right? I mean, even in India, the Prime Minister of India was trying to reclaim yoga as from India because it's just become something so different mm-hmm. from what uh, yoga was intentionally created for uh, thousands of years ago. So it's a complicated question. So there, the, the mishmash is all about finding things that have been super convenient for the Western world. And, you know, Neo-Tantra originates from some Western occultism, um, psychology, some New Age philosophies, and it's kind of this blend of all of the all of those things, including sexuality. Yeah. Now, I mean, I think Neo-Tantra is very valuable because it places a spotlight directly on sex and sexuality, mm-hmm. which is a very repressed area in, in the world today. It's a very repressed part of our society, not only in the U.S., but around the world. I've taught in different countries, and you'd be surprised, even France, where we think that, you know, French people are all about love and sex. I mean, they're, they're pretty repressed around talking about sexuality. Mm-hmm. So I think Neo-Tantra places a very necessary and needed focus on the sexuality piece. Um, but the, the danger there is that you become like over-rotated, like focused only on that, and mm-hmm. you lose the bigger scope, which is that they really this is a, about enlightenment. It's really about releasing attachment to all things, including sex. Mm. Um, so I'm just going to stop there and, and see if you have any questions on that. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, for that answer. Uh, it's nuanced for sure. And what I'm hearing and what I've observed and my thoughts are that in the realm of Neo-Tantra, because it's this mishmash and because people are pulling from all these different places, there is no one agreed upon thing that is Neo-Tantra, right? Like 50 different people could call themselves a Tantra teacher and you probably get 50 different descriptions of what that actually means, right? And I would imagine. And so like, in my own personal work as a sexologist and coach, I've, I've kind of wrestled with and struggled with whether or not I use the term Tantra for some of the reasons we talked about. And I've landed on using it in some instances because what I see, in at least in Western society, is that there is this really big split between sex and, and spirit, you know, or sex and depth, like deeper sex. And because of pop culture or because of books or because of articles or because of whatever, Tantra seems like it has become the word that a lot of people who don't really know what they're searching for, they think of when they think, oh, I want deeper sex or I want to incorporate spirituality into this somehow. So people are searching for that at this point. And it seems like that like that wave doesn't seem like that's going to stop anytime soon, right? So, so I'm happy to have a conversation like this. So at least if people are looking for Tantra, they can say, or hear like, oh, it actually is this big system that has you know evolved over many, many generations and grown into something much, uh, well, much different than originally it was meant for. But that doesn't mean what's happening now is not a useful practice, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's a great way to summarize it. Yeah. I think what's happening now is quite useful and is adapted to people today. Um, it's interesting what you say about the word of the word tantra and the use of it. Um, in the things that I teach, you know, I try to differentiate between neo tantra and classical. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there are festivals that use the word tantra 
You know, I, I used to be part of a, a festival um, where we use the word Tantra. We've moved away from that now. I actually run a retreat called Conscious Connections. And uh, we took the word Tantra out of everything because we felt that it was an appropriated mm -hmm. term. Um, so you have to be careful, I think. You have to use discernment and judgment when you're looking it up. Now there's tantric everything. There's like, I just saw a tantric dance. You know, I'm like, I don't know what that has to do with tantra. Uh, you know, we're going to get into tantric shopping pretty soon. It's just, <laughs> it, the word tantra has become just really misused, yeah. right? So just just know that it's it's much deeper than, yeah, than how it's being used today. So that was a good summary uh, that you gave. Thanks. Um, so devil's advocate, or at least bringing in something from the, <laughs> the Christian realm of the universe, devil's advocate. Um, when I'm hearing you say like, yeah, tantric shopping and tantric video game playing, tantric, all this stuff. Like, yeah. I think it'd be yeah. nice to maybe dive in a little bit more to what are some of the original practices of tantra, because in my understanding, there's a lot in those practices that's very much about how do you show up in each moment, right? How are you interfacing? How am I interfacing with each moment in life? Am I interfacing with presence and connection and heart, or am I sort of like dissociated and half paying attention to what's going on? And I think, and I believe that a lot of original Tantra is about like being here right now in the embodied way. Is that, would you say that's accurate? Yeah, I would say that that's somewhat accurate. Yeah. There's a little bit, yeah, definitely a little bit more to it. Mm -hmm. So remember I said earlier that Tantra is a word that's considered kind of like a bad word. Totally. And um, the reason is this, is that because Tantra really is defying kind of all societal norms. In India, Tantra is considered to be the left-hand path. So in India, you know, the left left-handedness is considered, you know, wrong or 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 not mm -hmm. right. And and there's a lot of there's a lot of bad media around tantra from from before. There's this like little fight that goes on between tantras, tantrikas and vedantists, right? Um and I'll explain the difference in a moment. So tantra is kind of considered this left-hand path that um that a lot of people don't follow. It's considered a little uh, obscure. It's also considered really edgy mm -hmm. because there are aspects of Tantra where, you know, you, you, you talk about sexuality. Um, some Tantrikis are doing things like, you know, covering themselves, their bodies in ashes. You'll see pictures of, of that. Um, there's an aspect or a line of Tantra where people actually eat human flesh. And, but the reason for that is, and you know, people get really shocked mm -hmm. when they hear that. The reason for that is in Tantra, Everything is God. So there's this non-dual aspect to tantric teachings that says that God isn't somewhere out there. It's not some guy on a cross, right? It's not someone sitting up in heaven. Um, God is here. I mean, right here mm -hmm. within us. God is in everything that is around us. And so the tantric path really forces us to look at that, right? So the person who's eating human flesh, well, they're just eating or doing something that is from God, right? It's not accepted by society, um, but they're doing it to push the edges on how much can they really see God mm -hmm. in everything. And so one of the one of the pieces of tantric teaching is not just the awareness piece that you brought in, but it's the non-duality mm. piece. It's can I see God in everything? Can I love the baby, the innocent baby? And can I love the serial murderer in the same breath, with the same yeah. heart, right? We, I mean, and in society, we have a lot of judgment. Of course, it's easy to love an innocent baby. That baby has no imprints, is so cute, right? Um, but a serial killer? 
I'm not sure I could love a serial killer because I don't understand mm-hmm. them because they are considered to be evil. But you know what? They're from God too. So that's really what the tantric principle is all about. It's about deconstructing the ego. It's about ego deconstruction, de- uh, deconstructing things that you identify with, right? Yeah. And coming to a place where your mind, your spirit is truly liberated so that you see yourself as a full expression of God um, on this planet and that everybody else is too. And so that that's really what Tantra mm. is about. And um and so that's the, the the key practice, right? And tantra, the words, there's some misdefinitions all around there, but tantra really means liberation and expansion. Mm-hmm. So so once you expand your view and realize that uh, you know I'm God, you're God, then I'm liberated because I don't have to judge anything, I don't have to accept or malign anything. Everything mm-hmm. is one, and so therefore you come to this liberated state where like. Everything is God, and so you don't judge, you don't, you don't ascribe, um, you know, bad or good to anything. That's another piece of the tantra path. I, I get very careful now about placing judgment on this is good and this is bad, or this is right or this is wrong. You know, there is no right or wrong. If it's all from God, then everything is meant to be, and everything is is part of God, right? So it's it's a different way of thinking yeah, of things. Yeah, it is a very different way. And it's a very confronting and, and challenging way to think about things too, because, well, for a lot of, a lot of different reasons, like why not, why don't I just go out and tantrically kill people, <laughs> you know, from that perspective, right, or right. like, what about the genocide right. over here or the flood over here or all this kind of stuff? It's hard to, hard to reconcile with. And right. I, I, I'm curious about my own upbringing and like being steeped in the Western society and, and, how much programming I have received to label things as good or evil, you know, and to really to only see things that way. And like, what are some other possibilities, you know, and like, I, yeah, that's a, I'm curious about that, but it, uh, I think, go go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say Judeo Christianity has really influenced a lot of the world today. You know, even, even me growing up, I mean, I grew up in Canada, so I was very influenced by the Bible, biblical references, the whole idea of, you know, hell and brimstone and then heaven is just so dualistic. Right. And so there's, so then it really polarizes everything. You're either good or you're bad. And the reality is, is that we're a mix of all kinds of things. We're a mix of light and mm-hmm. shadow. You know, you can't have shadow without light and you can't have light shining on something without a shadow appearing, like just from a physics mm-hmm. point of view. Um, so from a psychological point of view, yeah, we're, we're light and shadow. So to assign, you know, good and evil, it's, it's really about mass manipulation and control. I mean, you know, religion is, what's the, the, um, the quote? Religion is about controlling the masses. Um, and that's really what Judeo Christianity was about. Hinduism is way more, I like to call it open source mm-hmm. religion. It's, uh, and Tantra. It's like, hey, you know, there's like, there's like a million different paths to God. As many people as there are on the planet, there are that many paths to God. So follow your path to mm-hmm. God and, and, you know, that'll be the right path. And so it, it brings up a lot of interesting questions around, yeah, if, if someone is a serial killer, well, why are they doing what they're doing? Who knows? Yeah. I mean, I haven't walked in the shoes of one, right? Who who knows? Maybe they were directed by God. I, I don't know. Maybe they got messages and they feel that what they're doing is right. Um, 
you know, it's it's a very challenging way to look at that, right? People will get up in arms about it. They'll be like, how can you say that? Um, how can you say that about people in history who have done terrible things to people or even what's happening now in the Middle East? Well, I, I say to them, I don't know what the big picture is, yeah. right? I don't know what the big plan is. And these things might be happening over here, but there might be a an end game that I'm not aware of. And so... It's, yeah, you have to really deconstruct all your labeling around, am I good? Am I bad? Well, you're a bit of both. And, and I, I don't like using good or yeah. bad. Um, you're everything, right? It is our imperfections that make us who we are. It's our perfections that make us who we are. And so we're a conglomerate of both things. And the two things are joined. And so why have this polarization? Yeah. So I would say that's the biggest difference between tantric thinking and, and other yeah. thinking. Yeah. And spirituality. Yeah, that's interesting. And I'd love to get into the uh, tantra versus the Vedanta. Did you say Vedanta, Vedanta? Oh, yeah. But, but I wanted to bring something else up first. And uh, that is when I'm hearing you say that a lot of original tantra was to go into the scenarios where like the darkest places, right. And the most disgusting potentially to, could, to find yeah. God, like the one path, right. One, one potential option. And so yeah. now when I think of Western society, like, well, what are some of the darkest places here? What are some of the most problematic places here? Mm-hmm. I think of like sex obviously jumps out, you know, like so we have a very, very yep. unhealthy views on sex here in, in the Western world. And yet at the same time, we're bombarded every day with sexual advertisements and unlimited access to high-speed porn on, in our pockets, you know, constantly. And so there's all this like, sexual dysfunction, dysregulation, lack of happiness, lack of connections that's happening and not that many good examples of positive sexuality. So in my mind, I'm seeing like a jump or a pathway from if we're going to the darkest places to bring light there to find God in those places, like it would make sense in many ways, whether we call it Tantra or not in the Western world to be going into the realm of sex to see if we could find at least health there and perhaps beyond health divinity also. I agree. I think sexuality is our deepest shadow and our deep and our brightest light. This podcast is brought to you by all the men who've gone through my trainings over the years. Thank you. You are the sponsors of this show. It could not happen without you. Two things I want to share with you real quick. Number one is my orgasmic mastery course. It's a 10 week journey for men to become the best lovers they can possibly be, to master their sexual energy in the bedroom, to overcome premature ejaculation, overcome erectile dysfunction, experience full body orgasms, full body non-ejaculatory orgasms, and to be the man who blows his lovers minds. The second course is semen retention mastery. This is an intelligent lifestyle design course where you get to master the art of sexual energy transmutation and really build up your life force and direct it into your business, your creative projects, your mission, whatever it is that you want to really excel at and thrive in in your life so you can live the life you truly want. So if you want to check those out, there are links in the episode description. And with all that being said, thank you again. Let's get back to today's episode. And I think that a reason why people migrate or feel attracted to neo-tantra, as I mentioned before, sex is, we're so repressed around sexuality. You know, um, women, when we get together, I mean, certainly in my, well, in my groups now, we're a little bit more, I have more forward thinking friends, but traditionally, I mean, we're not talking about sex in our, in our circles, you know, we're, we're talking about very mundane things in my judgment. Um, but sex is our, 
our strongest drive. It's our primordial force. Um, the Taoist tantras say that. Like, it's the force of creation. And why aren't we talking about this, right? It's the strongest drive that we have. And uh, I read somewhere that actually it's first it's thirst, then it's sex drive, and then it's hunger for us in terms of the power mm. of what of what drives mm. us, right? And uh, yeah, we should we should be talking about these things. And so I would say that sexuality is where also we can get our deepest, our our most power. And um, I always feel like if some men particularly knew that they could be multi orgasmic, mm-hmm. for example it would change their complete view on their body, on how they relate to sex, on what they would do sexually, on they would they would realize that the end goal is not about just one and done, that there's this whole spectrum of things that opens up to them all of a sudden. And the same for women too, is um, once a woman feels through tantric practices or neo-tantric practices, how much power she has in her mm-hmm. body, how much she can access, um, then the sky's the limit, you know, and and we wouldn't we wouldn't allow what's happening now around not having autonomy around our bodies and so on because once we tap into that, um, either on our own or with a partner, then then it's sublime. And you know, it's the same it's same for both men and women. And I'm using the polarity of men and women. I also want to be very gender inclusive of those folks that don't identify as male or female who are either non-binary or um, on the gender expansive mm-hmm. spectrum. They too can experience these types of feelings. So um, yeah, sex is our darkest shadow because we're not in touch with it. We don't feel the power of it. We feel the repression, the oppression of it. Um, and we're supposed to be sexy, but not too mm. sexy. You know, um, we're supposed to like sex, but not yeah. too much. We're supposed to, you know, want to have sex, but just enough. And we're supposed to uh, not watch porn yet. There's like thousands and millions and millions of videos out there. It's very confusing. Yeah. And if we could just drop the whole sex is bad thing, I think that, again, this is very Judeo-Christian original mm-hmm. sin. We need to drop that. Yeah. And we are sexual beings. I think we just need to accept that. We are here to procreate. Uh, but you know what? We could have some fun while we're yeah. doing that. And that's the piece that's missing is the fun, the lightheartedness around sex and sexuality. The, there's just a joy of pure exploration of your body or someone else's body. Like, you know, it, it's it's really very fascinating. What works on me may not work on you, but that's fun. Like, okay, let's find out what your knobs and, and you know, what buttons we need to turn totally. to, to make you feel a certain way. And, uh, it's just pure play and exploration. Yeah, and perhaps that can be a spiritual experience. Spiritual sexuality. Oh, you know? it definitely is a spiritual and experience. I yeah. think, you know, back to when I was younger, I was really interested in all things spirituality related. Uh, meditation, silent meditation retreats, energetic practices, like all the yoga I could find, all this stuff. And at the same time, I was really interested in sex. But none of these retreats or workshops or books or anything that I was reading or experiencing around the world of the spiritual would even touch sex. It was like, it was the no-go zone, you know, like you, oh, we don't talk about that here at the spiritual retreat. We don't talk about that at the meditation thing. You do your yoga, but we don't even talk about your genitals and don't even bring your attention there. We'll just stay far, far away from that, you know? And it really, it created this split, this split for me uh, for many years growing up until eventually I did find uh, some books that were inspired by, I guess, potentially, yeah, Neo, well, neo tantra. They used the words tantra, and they were like 
hey, by the way, you can have a spiritual sexual experience. And I remember reading that in a book one time and being like, no fucking way. <laughs> You're kidding me. That's not possible. That's that's mind is blown. Yeah, yeah, completely. Like that, that's ridiculous, you know. Yeah. Eventually, like since then I have experienced the integration of those two, and it's been incredibly beautiful. Um, but but yeah, I, I want to empathize with the desire of anybody who's feeling a split between those two. Like it's very possible for you to integrate those and merge those and experience some really marvelous, miraculous, and amazing pleasure that also is deeply inspiring and creates more connection in your life in general. Absolutely. I, I want to touch on something you said before and bring it in to add to your comment, um, is that Tantra is an embodied experience. You had mentioned that before, you know, and the, the difference between Tantra and Vedas, well, people have heard of the Vedas and Vedantists are those who follow the Vedas. And Vedas, the Vedantists are all about oh, you know, you need to separate from everything that's in this material world. You need to rise above and meditate the fuck out of things, you know, mm -hmm. and just dissociate. It's essentially a whole practice of dissociation. Whereas Tantra is about, no, we're in a body for a reason. It's about being embodied. The tantric path is meant for you and me. For It's called the, the common householder path. It's meant mm. for you and me. The people who are, you know, we have to pay our bills and raise our kids and, and have jobs and make money and take care of ourselves. It's meant for us because it's about taking those embodied experiences and seeing the spiritual and the God in all of those experiences. So it's not about all the way up here. It's about being in your body. And so therefore, if we're having sex in our bodies, it is absolutely a spiritual experience. Mm. I'm going to name that um, some of the most spiritual experiences I've had have been through neo-tantric practices. And I was a meditator for decades. Um, meditator, yoga teacher, and certainly some of the taking that harnessing sexual energy and moving it up through your body, um, mm -hmm. even through the dirty chakras, you know, the, the chakras one and two that nobody talks about, like you said, <laughs> taking that energy and yeah. moving it through your body, you know, it's it can be really quite liberating and expansive and powerful. And I've had very visceral experiences of God energy in those moments. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. And that, that's the, <clears throat> excuse me, the piece that I want to talk about more and more is this, there is an intersection between spirituality and sexuality. Mm. Like let's not remove those, but also let's not get over rotated on the sex piece, right? The spiritual piece is also super important. And uh, just because you had a great orgasm doesn't mean you stop there. It's I encourage people to search. Okay, <laughs> now that you know this, what else is there possible for you, right? Yeah. You can achieve states of bliss without necessarily engaging in sexual activity. Yeah. Um, but, you know, potentially, there, there, so like I said, there's many different paths. Yeah, because potentially if you have that spiritual orgasm and then you think, oh, that's what spirituality is or that's what feels the best and then you go to that again and again and again and again and you sort of like cycle in that, that, that can be a exactly. problem too. And I think that is one of the problems of the neo-tantra world is that I've, I've personally experienced and have witnessed um, this sort of, yeah, like a hyper-focus on sex as the thing that matters, you know, or the thing that is going to catalyze your evolution, perhaps the only thing, but it's like, yeah, and, and letting go of even a useful conversation about sex before having sex for the sake of getting to those heightened states of consciousness that sex can provide. And so that's a potentially other huge area of like, what is the shadow of all this stuff that we could, we could get into? But I'll pause there and see if anything, any thoughts have come up for you in hearing me share that. 
Um, yeah, I think a lot of your comments are so profound. I just want to compliment you and appreciate you for your comments. Um, there, the sex is important. Let's not let's not deny that, right? I've said that, but like as I said before, it's not the stopping point. It's not. Let's not get over rotated on that. It becomes mm-hmm. addictive. Um, let's use that word. And so people are looking for that dopamine hit, right? They're looking for that sexual hit, or they're looking for the hit with the plant ceremony, or the and I want to say that um, you can achieve those states without it having to be sexual, without having to rely on plant medicine, without having to vape. Um, the, all of those things are inherently accessible to you. And the the trick is always walking through this world with awareness mm-hmm. and non-attachment, right? Those two things is that be aware of what it is that's happening for you. Are you getting addicted to something? Are you getting overly attached? And then if you are feeling attached, then to go to non-attachment is like, okay, that was great, but I'm not going to hang on to it super tightly, right? Like I'm going to accept this uh, this experience that came to me. I'm going to let it go and then, you know, look look to live my life and not get like, oh, I want to have that experience again. I want to have that feeling again. I want to have that dopamine hit again. And we are a dopamine hit society, like, you know, social media. Uh, I'm guilty of it just as anybody else. I go to Facebook to get that little hit, right? See how many likes I have. I see who's looking at my post. We have been programmed now, wired for that. And so... As a society, I think we need to disconnect from that and yeah. actually connect to each other because that's where the real the real beauty is. So would you say that, because I'm thinking now, you just said, okay, you don't need plant medicine. You don't need the X, Y, and Z to achieve some of these states. So like, what are some ways that people could move towards uh, this without those things? I'm hearing community or, or interpersonal connection could be Commun- one. Community is one. Yeah. I would say I would say regular spiritual practice. So, so there are there are texts like, for example, actually next weekend in Portland, I'm teaching a workshop that where we'll be going over all of these practices. And there is a text called the Vijnana Bhairava Tantra. I'll call it the VBT for short because um, we love acronyms, you know. And yeah. uh, in there, it's a really cool treatise. It actually has all these different practices, different breath practices that you can do, different practices around how to move energy in your body, how to become aware of each of the chakras in a way maybe that you haven't before, um, a way in which to do a meditation. Uh, like one meditation, which is really cool, and it's actually outlined in this text, is you light a candle, and you actually stare at the flame of the candle, and you get to a point where you're so focused on the flame and actually what's beyond the flame that your mind goes completely blank. Mm. And when your mind goes completely blank, you're in that state of liberation. You're in that state of expansion. And it's to be able to access those those states by doing just very simple things. Um, another piece of the VBT talks about having bodily sensations. So, you know, how you eat your food with awareness can lead you to a state of bliss. And so it's, it's about practicing. It's about practicing breath work, meditation, um, these different, you know, other different practices, which I teach. So that's the way in which you can actually achieve these states of bliss, but it's not overnight. Yeah, for sure. Right. Like a lot of people are looking for the immediate hit um, in our society. You know, you want the one second, two second thing. You want the magic pill, um, this is magic, but it, it just takes time. Long-term magic. You know, it takes practice. It takes discipline. Longer-term magic. Yeah. yeah. So, magic with commitment. <laughs> <laughs> and magic that will sustain itself for much longer than, than taking the pill or something like that for that hit. Right. So to, to go into this a little bit more, 
when I heard you speak of the candle meditation, you said, oh, somebody could be staring at the candle flame and everything could absorb or dissolve away. And then all of a sudden they're experiencing this, this oneness, but like, how would somebody know if that's what they're feeling? You know, say somebody's listening to this and they think, oh, I want to try that. I'll meditate and look at a candle. Are we talking about a state of consciousness where there's like this, like an absence, almost like a checking out kind of thing? Or are we talking about like, you're so in the moment with the candle that you are just like, that is all that's happening kind of thing. You see like, what I'm talking about, the difference it's, there? It's a bit of both. It's, what a, it's a bit of both. What a, what a great question. It's, it's a bit of both. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you start off and, you know, your mind is chattering. Like anyone who starts off with a meditation, your mind is chattering. It's like a little monkey in there. And then mm-hmm. the more you focus, let's say, on the candle flame, right, the more you become absorbed in that. And it does feel like everything kind of fades away. And you get into this place where your mind is completely blank, but yet you're very aware of what's happening in your body, what's happening around you. Mm -hmm. So it's this state of like hyper-awareness, but hyper-focus and emptiness at the same Mm -hmm. time. And those are the three things I would use to describe it. And you know, I mean, I'm just going to say that when you get to that place, you will know because you feel this, very deep sense of peace and rest and calm, but also love. Some people experience like expansive love. Some people have um, a lot of power that comes up from within them. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I think it's really about the emptying of the mind and just allowing everything to fade away yet having that awareness as well. Yeah. That's so, yeah, I invite practice. I I invite people to try it and let you know how it works. I would be really curious. And there's something that came up for me when you were saying that I'm remembering, I can actually remember the first time I had an experience where I uh, felt that like that expansiveness, that connection, that lack of thought, that, that presence all at once. And actually the first time for me, it was really deeply uncomfortable and unsettling at first. It wasn't full of, it wasn't like, it wasn't a pleasant expansion. You know, it wasn't, I didn't have pleasant sensations in my body, at least not first until I realized what was happening. And I, I remember I was at this silent meditation retreat. I, back when I used to work landscaping, when I was in my early twenties, I worked landscaping for this retreat center. And they said, Hey, Taylor, you can, you know, as part of our payment to you, you can choose a couple of retreats that you would want to come to. And I thought, okay, well, I'll try this silent meditation retreat. Like sounds pretty innocuous. I'll give it a shot. And I remember the end of the second day of basically like doing different yoga asana poses and meditating all day. We went for a walk out on the retreat grounds and I felt this, you know, this expansion, this presence, this, like all the things you just described, but I also felt this deep discomfort and, and this thought, like a a thought did come in and it said like, something's wrong. (laughs) You, You know, something's bad. You've never experienced this before. And I realized, Oh, that's because never in my life, have I actually been fully, deeply present with expansive awareness ever before? And that it, it was the foreignness that was uncomfortable and scary, not the experience itself. And so when I was able to relax into that, it then did turn into this like deeply blissful experience. I remember, th- remember thinking like, oh my God, this, this is what people were talking about in those books. This is what they're talking about in the retreats. Holy shit. This is amazing. You know, and I would have those sort of like, oh my God moments and then like go back into it and come out and reflect and be like, well, I can't believe it. And then go back into it. Uh, but it, yeah, it was a really interesting first touch of that. 
And I guess I just wanted to say that in case anybody else out there goes into that experience and feels discomfort or unsettledness while they're going there. Like I experienced that potentially you might too. Oh, I think that's a great statement. And I think a good reminder for me too, as a teacher, uh, you asked the question about enlightenment um, earlier, which I'll get to now, which is Mm -hmm. this spiritual path, if you really commit to it, any spiritual path really, but Tantra, I would say in particular, if you really commit to it, it's not comfortable. There's going to be some discomfort. Um, And thank you for naming, you know, your experience, that first experience of, oh, I feel super connected and I feel empty. There must be something Mm -hmm. wrong. Um, Yeah, it's it's uncomfortable. It's different, right, from how we've been conditioned to live our lives. Um, So you asked about enlightenment. I'm going to say that, you know, everyone talks about enlightenment in yoga circles. They're like, oh, you know, I want to get to enlightenment Mm -hmm. or my kundalini this and my kundalini that. So therefore, (laughs) I'm enlightened. You know, first of all, a person who's enlightened doesn't go around touting the fact that they're enlightened because it's a very much an internal thing that happens. It's about what you described and how you view the world as a result. So when a person is enlightened, they they look beyond the superficial. They can see through the matrix, if you will, and see what's really there. Um, so an enlightened person can tell when a person is not super connected um, to their internal God God awareness. Um, they can tell, you know, where there's lies and and things being hidden. Um, it's really about how an enlightened person perceives the world. And there's a there's a famous quote that says that, you know, before enlightenment, you, you know, sweep the porch and wash the dishes. And after enlightenment, you still sweep the porch and wash mm-hmm. the dishes. The difference is that your internal experience of it is very, very changed, is very different. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's hard to describe that enlightened state unless you've experienced it. It's it's a state of just complete expansion, oneness. Um, no delineation between me and the other. Um, and that can be really unsettling yeah. for lots of folks because we've been taught that, Taylor, you're a separate person and I'm a separate person. Whoever's listening to this podcast, you're a separate person. Um, but I want to break it to you that we actually are all one person. We're all one thing. And it's like we're we're different fingers, but we're on the same hand. And so, you know, that's kind of one of the biggest illusions yeah. that we're born into this into this lifetime with is this this idea of separation. Which has at least at this point been confirmed by Western science <laughs> in a few different modalities that we're all yes. the same thing. Um and when I'm hearing you talk about enlightenment right now, it's 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 and it doesn't work with my original idea of what I used to think enlightenment was. Like when I'm hearing you talk about enlightenment right now, it really sounds like ultimately it's a state of consciousness, right? It's an inner state of experiencing the world as opposed to a state that somebody will achieve and then like pop out of existence because they've ascended or transcended something like that, right? Uh, if I'm hearing you correctly. Right. And and I, I think back to I've been in a lot of different spiritual circles, a lot of different practice realms. And when I think back to some of the most unhappy people that I've ever been around, it's been those who are seeking enlightenment with an idea that, oh, they haven't achieved it yet. You know, something's wrong sort of a thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'll pause there. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of competition. Yeah, there, there's a lot of competition. Sorry, I jumped in a little. I was getting excited. There's it. a lot of competition in spiritual circles, which is really like, 
the antithesis of what spiritual practice should be about, right? You're not really competing with anybody, you shouldn't be. But there's a lot of competition around, oh, I must achieve enlightenment. How do I get to enlightenment? You know, I follow this this uh, Sanskrit scholar who's also a well-known tantra teacher. And a lot of people talk about that. Uh, and I... Again, it's it's getting over-rotated and fixated on a mm. goal where the spiritual path is not really goal-oriented. It's about experience. It's about awareness orientation. So, yeah, when you get enlightened, it's not that you're like, okay, I'm peacing out now. See you later. It's You live in this world. And a person who's enlightened, like if you look at Adyashanti, for example, you can just feel the presence just emanating mm. from him. He doesn't have to say a word and you just feel it. And there are some gurus that have that ability to just transmit because they are so connected and they just transmit God energy. And so people flock to them as a result and and get that, that dopamine yeah. hit again. <laughs> Which brings up an interesting potential diversion or, or branch down the pathway of in thinking about humanity and the experience of being human, I'm thinking, okay, yes, there is this spiritual category, right? People can do a number of practices. They can reach this level to where they sort of beam and radiate a certain kind of presence or persona that people are drawn to, right? And it also seems to be the case that some people who have developed that ability have not spent potentially an equal amount of time developing their understandings of communication, you know, or, or power dynamics or how to deal with like actual human interaction. And so we haven't yet gone into the shadow areas of this stuff, but one of the areas I've seen, and I'm curious to hear you talk about it a little bit is I've seen people who've done a lot of quote unquote spiritual practices who have achieved a certain state of consciousness that is different than the everyday state of consciousness that a lot of people are drawn to, but then they are really fucking messy in the human department. <laughs> um, so yeah. I'm curious yeah, what comes up yeah. for you when you hear that. Yeah, I call those people spiritual psychopaths. <laughs> you know, we, they, like you say, they have, they're charismatic. They have done some practice. They have access to some energy, something that maybe we don't, you know, commoners don't have access to, but they haven't really worked on all aspects of themselves. And so then you see these like psychopathic tendencies come out, right, where they try to manipulate people in a spiritual way, you know, um, if, if you want to be closer to God, you would do X, Y, and Z with me. Um, and we see this a lot in neo-tantric circles. There have been so many schools of Tantra that have had hashtag me too incidences yeah. uh, where people are feeling coerced to have sex or being told that they're not spiritual enough. So therefore they need to do something with the leader. Um, and we, and it's men and women. We've seen both men and women do this. There've been a number of schools that have been accused and shut down. And even today there are some, some schools that are having uh, real problems. And I, and I follow all of these um, because I'm in the field. Um, so I would say that, I would say that, yes, those leaders exist. And one must question always when one finds a leader or an organization, question everything. Don't just accept everything that they're telling you. Um, part of the tantric path is to question, does this feel right for you? Because um, intuition, and that's something that's called pratibha in Sanskrit, it is very individual. So what's right for me may not be right for you, but I need to listen to that inner voice yeah. 
that inner gut feeling that tells me what's right and what's not right. And so what I find in a lot of these spiritual circles, people are so willing to just give it all up. They want to be kids again. They're looking for the mommy daddy to take care of them. And they just want to put everything on on the floor before the guru or the leader and say, here, I'm going to give you, just tell me mm. what to do. Because that's so much easier, isn't it? Than listening to your yeah. intuition and doing what it, you is right for you. And so people abscond a lot of responsibility when they go into a guru situation or a community or cult situation. And so I would say question, always question, whatever the person says, does this feel right for you? Does this feel true for you? Does it feel okay that he's asking you to give up all your money to the organization? Like really feel into yeah. it, right? And yeah, <laughs> exactly. Don't buy into everything lock, stock and barrel because it's, you know, it may not be right for yeah. you. And I think that that is a real shadow. It's if a person who is in leadership hasn't done their work and hasn't reached that full state of enlightenment, there are going to be manipulation techniques that come up. There are going to be ways in which to control the masses yeah. um, in ways that are different from Ju Judeo-Christianity. You know, you have to be yeah. careful. Do you think that. it is possible for, do you know, personally, of any teachers who you would say they have reached that state and sustained it and are also teaching sexual material? Uh, that's a good question. I would say no. I was going to say at first, you know, I mentioned Adya yeah. Shanti in terms of like a really spiritually involved mm -hmm. teacher, but yeah, no one's teaching that and sexuality, yeah. right? Again, we're back to let's not talk about the dirty right. chakras. Uh, because sexuality is is complex, it's shadowy, it's a strong force, it's um, yeah, and and it's complicated. So I, there's there's no one that I could name who has reached that real state of of enlightenment mm -hmm. um, that is also teaching the sexuality piece. I don't have yeah. a name for that. I'd like to think I'm one of those people that can do that, but in terms of like a a big name, I, I can't think yeah. of anybody. And yeah. I would imagine at least. I feel like I've touched states. Well, I've certainly touched states of consciousness that feel like that, which have been amazing. And I'm very much human with my own bags of shit <laughs> too. And I try to speak to those in my courses and when I'm coaching and working with people as well, because uh, I don't want people to deify me. But yeah, I think it's just, it's it's so easy to want to deify people and think like, oh, they're enlightened or, oh, they've it got is. it figured out. And I'll just like surrender my whatever to follow them blindly and yeah, I just want to echo it's it can be a very exciting experience to want to explore sacred sexuality and to want to learn it, to want to go to different workshops and that sort of thing. And also it's like it opens up some serious doors that I think people need to be intentional with, careful with sometimes, but definitely intentional with because I've seen a lot of people get hurt in these realms also. Um and to to pivot here a little bit at the, I know we're coming to the close of our conversation, uh, at least the close of an hour <laughs> timeline. I wanted to ask you if there are things, if there's something that comes to mind for you, say that there's somebody listening, anybody, any gender to this podcast, and they think, you know, I really would like to be able to have more spiritual, sexual experiences in my life. Like, what would you say would be a good starting point? Like, something that they could try today, possibly, or tomorrow? Does, does anything come to mind for that? Oh, that's a great, great question. Yeah. 
Well, I would say, first of all, to be completely self-serving, reach out to me, right? And I'll give my contact info <laughs> at the end um, to steer you steer you on the right path. Mm-hmm. There are there are lots of good books um, out there. Um, I would say, you know, start with some some stuff from Mantak Chia, who is a Taoist a Tibetan Tantra. Uh, person. I mean, he's the one that became the most famous for ejaculatory control and, and, um, you know, has a lot of stuff that's written specifically for mm-hmm. men. So I would say, uh, look at that at the multi-orgasmic male, I think is, or multi-orgasmic man is one of his books that was written. Um, you know, I'm hesitant to suggest anything because I, I feel that a lot of the books or any of the, um, resources that are out there are kind of missing the, yeah. the mark right now. Um, well, then let me, add, may I, yeah, I would say I would say. May I ask yeah, you this then: instead of a book or a course or anything like that, like, is there a practice, like something that somebody could do in their body to yeah. link these two things together that you would recommend? Yeah, thank you for that. Um, yeah, I would say that practicing breath work is is really important. Um, being able to just you know be able to breathe fully in your body, and I would say if you have a partner, like so, full breathing is important because it relaxes your muscles, stimulates the vagus nerve, which then relaxes the whole body, and also gives you more oxygen intake, which is always a good thing from a you know biological yeah. perspective. Um, but if if you really want to explore you know conscious sexuality, I would say bringing awareness to your sexual practice. So whether you are self-pleasuring or you're with a partner, take time, like slow everything down, right? Um, on average, the um, the average American male has intercourse and orgasm in under three minutes. And so I would say to you, you know, if that's the case, um, expand the time that you are in these sexual yeah, we need states, to fix that. right? And do it... <laughs> Yeah, we need to fix that. Yeah. Exactly. And do it slowly, like bring attention to everything that you touch. So if you're touching your partner's body or your body, like really, like really feel, oh, this is what the skin feels like, or this is what, you know, their body feels like, or, and, and bring awareness to everything that you're yeah. doing. So often with sexuality, we're in our heads, we're performance related. So I would say, take goals off the table, take you know, having to orgasm off the table, take any goals around having to make your partner orgasm off the table and just be in the pleasure of touching and experiencing their breath and their energy. That's a really good first mm-hmm. step, right? It, to becoming coming more into your body and experiencing more pleasure. The second thing I would say is, you know, uh, read some books about trauma. So here I would actually mm. recommend the book, The Body Keeps the Score um, by uh, Bessel van der Kolk. And he talks about how our body can store trauma. So one of the shadows in the sexual work is as you start delving into sexual energy, there's sexual trauma that can mm. come up. And it's not just for women, it's for men too. There's a lot of trauma around there, around genitals and either what we look like or if we've been molested or our boundaries have been violated. So read that book, The Body Keeps the Score. It will talk about what's stored in your body and how to do some trauma mm. release so that when you delve into sexuality, that it doesn't all come up as a shadow, yeah. um, that you're aware of it and you can release it. So I would say those are the two things is bring awareness to your practice, right? Um, through touch and through breath and learn about what your body stores. Mm. And I think that's a, probably a good first two steps, Beautiful. right? Um, and yeah, I can provide you with other resources awesome. as well, uh, after, after yeah, the podcast. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. And also <clears throat> sounds like the, along with that comes the understanding that 
growing spiritually with one's sexuality doesn't necessarily mean having all these intensive peak experiences constantly, right? That it's like the full the full right. spectrum range of that. And I th- I really appreciate how you brought the trauma in the trauma piece into the uh, working with the spiritual sexual piece as well, because a lot of what I've uh, seen out there and a bunch of the first workshops that I went to really didn't talk about that. <laughs> I just talked about like, how can you use breath work to activate yourself and experience these heightened states of consciousness, which were, which do feel really good. And now I'm, I am in a somatic experiencing program and studying Tantra from a few or trauma from a few different lenses and really seeing like, Oh, wow, this is massive. This is massively important. This actually should be taught in sex ed growing up too, or at least aspects of it. So I can get off that soapbox, but yeah, say thank you so much for, for referencing that book and for sharing those resources. And thank you so much, Hema, for this conversation. I really appreciate your wisdom and your experience and the way you articulate these different concepts and make them easy to understand. And yeah, I'm just super excited for this interview to go out to the world. And if somebody's listening and they would like to learn more from you or work with you, what would be the best avenues for that? And how can they find you? Knowing that we will also put links in the show notes for people to reach you. Oh, great. Thank you. Yeah, it was exciting for me to be here. I loved all of your questions. I feel like we could have probably gone on for another hour. Um, if people are interested in anything that I shared, I teach both Neo-Tantra and Classical. I do one-on-one coaching um, around intimacy and also spiritual mentoring. So the best way to reach me is you can send me an email. It's hema at hemayoga.com. So that's H-E-M-A at H-E-M-A-Y-O-G-A.com. I also have a website, so www.hemaholisticmystic.com, so all one word. And um, there you'll see my offerings and you can book some time with me. And uh, yeah, I look forward to hearing from people, even if it's just to say that they enjoyed the podcast or they have questions. Um, I'm, I'm here. This is part of my mission is to help people understand that they really are God mm. and that we are not separate from each other. And so anything that I can do to help people on that path, I'm, I'm honored to do that. But thank you again, Taylor. This was just so yeah, much fun. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. And if you're listening, thank you for being here with us. If you liked this episode, if you got something out of it, please let us know and share it with a friend. Help spread, help spread the good word. <laughs> thank you so much again. And I look forward to seeing you next time.